0: And so we're going to finish off this series that we've been talking about called Recalibrate. As I mentioned before, calibrate is to get back to a place where something originated from or a standard that it's supposed to be at. And to recalibrate means to bring it back. And many of us, without even realizing it, have drifted over time into a functional orphan way of thinking. So we know God We say that we love God, we worship God, and yet we think opposite of how he thinks about us. My goal, just for you guys to understand, my goal is pastoring you as sharing these messages is not to get you to another place or to a better place or to become a better Christian. This is my hope is that somehow, some way I can inspire you to have a heart that is exploratory, that wants to discover more of who God is. I want you to, should I change mics? Yes. It's bothering me too much. So is there a handheld around here? I'll do this one, Jay. Sarah said, yeah. She's like, duh, you should have done that five minutes ago. All right, this is the blue one, Jay. This one on? Yep. Okay. Is I hope as a, a pastor, as a brother in Christ, um, to individually inspire you to explore with me who this God is. To explore with me who you are to this God. Because I realize if I just said, hey, guys, um, you're, you're on this journey, man. Let's all become better people and better Christians Eventually, we lose people behind. Eventually, we start to compare ourselves. Eventually, we start to conform to one another, to try to be like that other person, and we start to go, man, I just feel like I'm not further, or I should be further along than I am. But man, if we're on a journey of just exploring and discovering who God is, then there's no comparison. All there is is storytelling. All there is is saying to that person next to you, man, did you... Can you, uh, do you want to hear what I've discovered about who God is for me this week or who I am to him? Can you, can you believe that? And we start to now share stories with this God that we're falling in love with. I'm not trying to get you to a better place. I'm attempting to inspire and to persuade and to help guide. A place where your heart is eager to explore and discover the amazing God that we serve and the amazing thoughts that he has towards you. Promises, which we're going to spend time talking about today. The title of the message today is promises made to a son or daughter. Promises are everything to God. And therefore they should be everything to us. And when God gives a promise, when you see a promise that is given To you in the scriptures, it is given in order to increase and to experience his presence. I want to try to help you understand that when you have a promise from God, it's not just a disconnected word from someone you may not know and you hope that it will come to pass. No, when he gives you a promise, he invites you into that promise. So that you can experience his presence even when that promise does not seem like it's coming to pass. So Abraham, he invited Abraham into a partnership or a promise. So that he could experience in that moment the presence of God as that promise was being fulfilled. Promises are relational. They enhance our fellowship with the Trinity or the Godhead. They create opportunities to partner with God so that we can enjoy intimacy with Him. And promises that come from God will always accelerate your transformation in Christ. So promises are relational. Hebrews chapter 8 verse number 6, this should be on the screen. I want you to see this. This is speaking of the ministry that Jesus had as our high priest. He was the final high priest. He was a priest that was forever now our priest. And it says these words, but now he, speaking of Christ, has obtained a what? A more excellent ministry than all the priests that have come before him, inasmuch he is also a mediator or a go-between of a better covenant. Amen. We are part of a better covenant that is established on better promises. Now, you think about that. God made some amazing, amazing promises throughout the scriptures. And he says, you know what? I've made covenants with mankind all the way since they've been created. But I've made a better covenant with you. One that will never be broken. One that will never be altered. One that will never be changed. And that covenant is actually established... On better promises than I made to anybody previous to that. And so it's with that mindset that we are to live our life. Many of us live our life wondering where we are with God. Wondering when he's going to speak to us and when he's going to come through for us. But when you have this mindset that, man, I am a son that has a covenant that is better than any other covenant he's ever made and it's established on promises that are better than he's ever made to anybody else, I'm now going on to a journey of what? Exploration. I want to discover what this covenant is all about and why it's better. I want to learn, man, what about these promises that are so amazing that for some reason they're better than the promises that were made before? And you'll see why in a moment why some of these promises are better. I write here, and I think... As I was thinking this morning, I don't want to correct the statement that I wrote here. I want to read it for you, but I want to adjust it. Because I wrote here, every problem has a promise from God attached to it. You catch that? As I was thinking about that this morning, I realized, you know what? I feel like it's the other way around. And I don't want to discourage you with this because it's actually a good thing. But every promise has what attached to it? (laughs) Maria's like, a problem. (laughs) That actually doesn't feel or sound good at all. But let me tell you what I'm saying is you can play it both ways. But that God makes a promise to us. And he wants us to be moved only by that promise. I promise you guys what? A land flowing with milk and honey, okay? When they arrived to that land, they spied it out, and what did they discover that God never told them about? Giants. Giants. So the giants were irrelevant to God's equation. Like the reason why he never mentioned them is because they actually had no bearing on whether or not his promise was legit still. And so I know that I have a promise from God, that he has made a promise to me. But I also know there's an enemy that is going to come and try to derail me with what? A problem. And so he's going to try to make sure that I can begin to doubt what God already promised to me. And so we become very circumstantial minded or problem focused when we start to live in the midst of our circumstances and the problems that we face. And I just want to encourage you. There are some amazing promises that God made to you long before life is good or long before life is challenging. And we're going to go over a few of those this morning. But as I thought about the problems that some of us face and that every problem has an attachment with a promise to it, I thought about, what about divorced people? What's that promise? What about somebody that was abused? Does God have a promise for them? What about people who are broken because of what they've been through? Does God have a promise for them? What about those who are deeply hurt or wounded by what somebody else has done or not done for them? Is there a promise attached to that? What about those who have been abandoned as children or maybe don't have fathers or maybe they didn't have parents? Is there a promise that's provided for them? What about somebody who has a bad diagnosis? Is there a promise that can be attached to that? What about a death in a family that was unexpected? Is there a promise that comes with that? How about marital issues or your kids when they're walking away from God? Are there promises that are attached to that? Because when I read that list, I feel like we've put that list on monumental stone pillars and we start to define our life according to that. And we somehow forget or can't see or stop discovering, wait, 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 wait. Man, that was real. But there's something more real that, I, that has, had to be spoken from my father. So you have somebody who was abandoned as a young person and they grow up fighting and fending for themselves and never feeling accepted in every environment they go in, they feel like they just don't belong And they live that entire way until hopefully somebody introduces them to a promise from somebody who is now their father, who is an Abba father, who is always be faithful, who will never reject them. And it's my prayer that somehow that promise will override this inside their life. And it starts to knock down these statutes we have of problems that have defined us for so long. Ones that were very, we almost don't want to get rid of them, although we do. Why? Because it's part of who we are. It's part of our story. We want that to be the major part of our story. You don't get it, Justin. I'm hurt. You don't get it. I was abandoned. You don't get it. I went through a horrible divorce. You don't get it. I was was broken down by somebody. You don't get it. I was abused as a child. And so... Without knowing it, we establish these things strong in our hearts and then the promise is coming and we hear these promises maybe on a Sunday or we read them in the Bible or we hear them on somebody speaking it on a TV station. We go, yeah, that sounds so good, but I don't know how that works for me. And somehow, way, we start to little by little dismiss problems and establish ourselves and dismiss promises And establish ourselves in the problems that have wreaked havoc in our life for so many years. And so, what we do is we tend to study and dissect the problems that we're going through way more than we do to search out, to study, and to better understand what God's promise is to us. So, somebody does us majorly wrong, hurts us deeply. We feel like, you know what, I lost so much because of that individual. And so what we do is we go over it. It's a word called dwell. Have anybody ever dwelled on something maybe you shouldn't have, right? And the more you dwell on it, the more it begins to hold you tightly, and it keeps you in a place where this is who I am, and so now we start to build up walls, we start to protect ourselves. Why? Because I never want that to ever happen Again, in fact, I'm not even going to give somebody an opportunity to make that happen. And so, by default, we start to protect ourselves. And I'm saying, how about at that moment, you embrace it, of course you're hurt. Of course they did what was wrong. Of course there's justice, that has to be served. All those things. But at the same time, start to search out and to study and to better understand, God, what promise have you given to someone like me? And he's promised some amazing things that this ability to forgive somebody could have a great impact on your own personal life. So what did he promise us? Justin, just as I've forgiven you, you now can freely forgive somebody else. And I begin to dwell on that and begin to study it. Not just dismiss it. Not just say, you know what, that's just spiritual. Or, that, just, that doesn't happen like that. No, 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 God, help me to understand how your promise can really impact right now what I'm going through. And it may take time, over a year, over two years, or maybe months. And you start to actually start seeing life from a promise perspective rather than what you've been through. There's, he's here. I don't know who he is, but he is here. So every trial comes with a promise of patience and growth. I just want to encourage you as my brothers and sisters in the Lord to look for God in everything. Not did he cause it, not why did he allow it. Those things bring you to a place of doubt and unbelief. start to go, okay, God, I hate what I'm going through, but you have to be here somewhere. There has to be a promise somewhere inside of this circumstance that I'm just not seeing right now. And we start to search out going, man, I can't see it, Lord, but I really want to find out what's the promise you have for me. And I start, to now, I start to now relate with him in this circumstance rather than God change it. God, why? God, when are we going to stop this? It's go, okay, God, God, what promise can I stand on? What promise can I believe you about? What did you say as a father that I know cannot lie? What did you say about me right now? Is, is, is Phil with the kids today? Oh, he's hiding. Okay. Oh, he's back there. Okay. He and I had a conversation about something um, in particular physically wise. And what happens is, do you mind if I just share the question I asked you? Okay. I said, tell me the picture you see 10 years down the road. And the picture produces one of fear for him. I I share this not because, I share because we all have these stories. Every single one of us can relate with what he says um, because there's a picture that we now Over time, the problem, whether it's physical, whether it's financial, whether it's marital, it starts to paint a picture of what this looks like down the road. And that picture starts to produce fear, and we become very problem-minded. And now what we're doing is we're just hoping that it doesn't happen, but we just know, man, that's probably what's going to happen. And we're not believers now. We're actually people who are believing the wrong thing, not because we're bad, but because we just don't realize, or let me say this, not because we're bad, but because we haven't Put in the work, which is a hard word in New Day community now. I, we have to reframe that. But put in the work to go, God, help me to see the promise. Many of us don't even want to because we don't want to be disappointed. And I'm telling you, there's a father that, that has something for you. But that promise, okay, hear me out. That promise... Before it changes your circumstances, it has with it a picture. So he said, Abraham, I have a promise for you. You are going to be a father of many nations. Okay, but that promise didn't come to pass for how long? But it changed what? A picture in him. And he believed the picture. He even took Abraham out of the tent and said, I want you to see something. Do you see all the stars? That's how numerous your children are going to be. And what I'm saying about this is that there is a promise from a loving father made to his son, Phil Lambert, that says, this is who I will be for you throughout that process. And this is how I see you in 10 years. And now it's us receiving that promise and going, okay, God, I don't know how, I don't even know when it's going to take place, but I'm daily going to start to believe but you have spoken about this situation. And now you're, now you're leaning on a relationship that is sturdy. The only person you can truly trust, knowing that he'll never fail you, is a father who cannot lie. It's his nature to always be right about what he promised. And now he wants us to partner with him on a new picture, a new journey, so that the destination is not the one that we don't hope for, it's the one that he Promised. Every loss comes with it a promise of what? Comfort and redemption. How many have experienced loss before? That loss comes with it what? Pain. It comes with it stress, maybe anxiety, maybe worry about what the future holds. So that loss is real. But what comes with that loss Is an attachment that God says, I will be this for you in that loss. Come on in, Paul. Sit wherever you want. Every hurt comes with a promise of healing and forgiveness. Do you know why sometimes we don't want to be healed of hurt? Because we feel like it let the person who hurt us off the hook. Like, somehow, if I move on from this pain, then somehow they got away with what they did to me. And I'm saying, no matter what somebody's done to you and hurt you in whatever particular way, what comes with that hurt is God going, I have a promise of healing and forgiveness that will reshape your future so you're not defined by what they did to you. Amen? Every lack comes with the promise of provision. Every setback, of course, comes with the promise of him bringing you back to where you left off of. Every worry comes with the promise of peace. And every fear comes with the promise of rest. I just want to encourage you to search the promises. But don't just go to, and and, and hear me out with this, don't just go to a concordance and go, what's some good promises I can start to believe That's not relational. Relational is, Father, who do you want to be for me right now? That you couldn't be for me at any other moment in time, who do you want to be for me right now? Day one, no answer. Day two, no answer. Day three, you know what? I'm going to start Googling who God wants to be for people. (laughs) Right? And I'm going to start Googling promises for those who are going through it. And what what I'm saying is I'm joking about it, but ultimately... Sometimes he is just bringing you closer to himself so that you realize that this promise is not just a distant word. This is actually, it comes from somebody that you know. It comes from a father that you know. Um, I just read the story yesterday of some scientists that were going to a particular uh, uh, geographic location where there are some extremely rare flowers. And I'm not sure the validity or the truth of the story, but it just conveys what I wanted to share. And on the edge of a mountain, so to speak, was this flower that they wanted to study, and it was extremely rare. They saw a boy that lived in that particular part of the area, and they said, you know what, young man, we will pay you top dollar if you'll let us kind of strap you in, and we want to just kind of drop you down that side of the edge to grab the flower, and then we'll pull you back up, and you'll get... Compensated very well for it. And the son or the boy said these words. He said, Wait, wait one second. I'll do it, but let me go back and get something. And he went home and he got his father. And he said, I'll only do it if my father is holding the rope. And what I love about that is he knew that he could trust one person that was not going to let him down. And I just want to encourage you you have your friends. You have your, your 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 messages that you listen to online, you have your people that you relate with that can help you through difficult times, but there's only one that will never let you down. He will never let you down and when you go into him and learn to relate with him, he has this ability to say everything's going to be all right. And he doesn't have to answer anything further than that except for us to go, you know what? Everything's going to be all right. He's going to somehow bring it to pass. Hold on. I need to turn down my brightness on this because it's about to die. Okay. Unfortunately, we won't see many of the promises that we hear about or maybe read about in the scriptures until we first, what? Understand the nature of our Father. He delights in you guys. Like he loves to promise you things. Just like as a father or mother would love to promise something to their child because maybe they did something well that week and you're like, man, I promise, man, you did so good at uh, getting good grades, man, I promise you I'm going to take you out for a special date. And that daughter or that son, what should they do throughout that week knowing that they got good grades? They should have a high level of what? Expectation and they will begin to what? Tell their friends, man, Saturday I'm going on this special date because my parents are rewarding me for the grades that I had. And so they begin to tell people about the promises of God. And sometimes, you know what? We tell people more about our expectation about the problem. And I, I understand it. I'm not trying to dehumanize any of us. What I realize, though, is sometimes our focus is not on the promises of God anymore. Our expectation level is not here. It's so low. Like, we're just hoping maybe he'd do something. God, I threw it out there, and so we're asking him, and we're hoping that he will, but, but our expectation's not high. Why? Because before, maybe we've prayed or we've asked God, and something or nothing happened. And so remember, who God is for us, it's a phrase you hear often here, is always more important than any situation that we find ourselves in. So many of you, as I went through that list of different problems that you're facing off with right now, maybe there's one in your mind that you're thinking or something big on your heart, who God is for you will always trump what you're going through. That's why it's so important to find out who he wants to be for you right now. Rather than, God, I'm here. I don't want this in my life anymore, so can you please take it away? He may in time, but he wants us to what? Discover his nature and who he is in that moment. Otherwise, we can go by throughout life and never truly experience who He is inside of our life and stand at the end of our day knowing that maybe we served God, we did the good Christian thing, we raised a Christian family, but there were so many upgrades or discoveries of who God was along the way that we just missed out on. And maybe we're, like I give that example of diving into ocean, exploring, maybe we're like, you know what, the water's so cold, the fish stink, and we start to complain about this journey rather than going, man, God help me to see the vastness and the goodness of who you are. I encourage you, if you receive bad news just recently or in the coming weeks, to pray this simple prayer, prayer. God, show me how good you are in this situation. It'll be a tough one to even mutter the words up, because you don't even want to believe that he's good if he's allowed you to hear the news that you heard, but what it does is immediately puts you in a disposition of expectation of who he is. As I mentioned last week, the foundation of our sonship, as we're recalibrating from that who is an orphan, or one who is an orphan to one who sees life from a sonship perspective, is the foundation of that is two things: security. Of what? Security that God never changes. He is the same yesterday, today, and forever. That's the only thing I can be secure in. The only thing that we can be secure in is knowing that God never changes His disposition toward me. And the other foundation is His love. For me, not because I'm lovely, lo- lovely, but because of who He is. It's His nature to love. And so it's on that foundation that I stand as a Son of God, knowing that who I am is because of who He is toward me. And so, how do you become an orphan or one who is an orphan and transition or be transformed into a son? And I purposely wanted to make sure I said this statement because of the simplicity of it. It'll immediately go over your head, not in a bad way, just in a way of like, that's way too easy. Or it may be like, you know what, there has to be more to that. And here's my my statement, is how do you transition from becoming an orphan-minded individual to a son to become like a little child? Can you put that next verse on the screen? I think it's a... Assuredly, I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God as a little child will what? Can you imagine just walking around Disney like outside just going like, my gosh, it's going to be so amazing in there. And somebody stands on the outside of the Disney um, right where before you walk in and just starts preaching to you about the goodness of Disneyland and about how amazing it is, the rides inside of there, and man, the people just treat you so well and it's gonna be exciting to go in and year after year, you're just like standing, just looking in. I, I, that's the picture I get is that if you wanna enter God's kingdom, not heaven, that's not referring to heaven, if you wanna enter God's place where he's ruling and living inside your life, how, what do you have to do? You have to receive it as a little child. <laughs> not exciting, is it? I knew that would not go over at all. So, look at this next verse. I wanted to show you this. This is something we came across at our men's meeting. But I fear lest somehow, as the serpent also deceived Eve by his craftiness, so your minds may be corrupted from what? The simplicity that is in Christ. There is nothing more simple than saying, guys, start learning how to receive from God. I can't tell you how many times I have heard the statement back, I'm struggling to receive. Something so simple, but why are we struggling? Because when you live with this orphan mindset, it's difficult to receive something that is freely given to you because one, you either don't deserve it or two, I'm going to prove that I do deserve it, God and that's not receiving that's earning and striving and trying to get something that god has and there is a simplicity that is in christ that we are drifting away from when it comes to being recalibrated to who we are as sons and daughters it's learning that we are little children who are coming to receive from a father who has promises for us that are ours because of he because of who he is and who we are to him no other reason and so i'm learning how to become as a little child to receive just like a child would receive from their mother or their father. And so every day as this child, I have these three objections that I shared um, last week. Can you put those up? So I'm, I'm looking at what? What is God's view of me? His God's view of me is what? I am his beloved son or daughter. Okay, I know you guys heard me say this and I I'm sorry I repeat things, but I do it because I know there's moments where that seed is being watered and watered and watered, and somebody goes, it's really that simple. That I wake up, and I don't have a task list for the father that I have to perform to be his son, although he's going to give me certain instructions. There's certain assignments he has for me. But my objective is this, to actually receive and to think upon or dwell upon, what is your view toward me? And what is his purpose for me? His purpose is not what you're going to go do and accomplish in this world. His purpose is that he would what? Dwell inside of you. And lastly is his thoughts toward me. The precious thoughts I just want to begin to think upon and dwell upon those thoughts. And so I want to look at just three this morning. Promises that we have that are better promises. And these are not condition-based. You find seven or 8,000 promises in the word of God, and many of them have, if you do this, then God may do this. It's under a covenant that maybe is not a a part of what we are, but there's certain things that if we do, man, God's going to respond. But these promises that I'm going to share with you are based upon him. These are promises from a father to you and I. Here's the first one. Again, don't let your, oh, I know that, keep you from actually receiving it. The first one is our Father has promised that He would... Say it a little louder. Never. Say never again. He will never leave you nor forsake you. That is a promise He made to you. An unconditional promise from a Father who has said, I will never leave you, Justin, and I will never forsake you. Therefore, I also know He's promised it who? To my children. That no matter where they stray to, no matter where they go to, he's never going to leave them. He is never going to forsake them. That word leave or forsake, it means that God will not abandon us. He's not going to leave us, which means he will never fail to uphold us or let us, what, sink. What picture do you guys get when I say the word Sink. Peter stepping out of the boat. Jesus is there bidding him to come forward. Peter starts to walk on the water. He begins to look at all the circumstances around him. And what does he begin to do? He begins to sink. And Jesus immediately reached out his hand and grabbed Peter by the hand and pulled him up. That's what it means. It's not that he's distant. It means that he is never going to abandon you in a place where you need him. He's never going to let you sink, even though sometimes it feels like you're just treading water. What he's saying to all of us is, I will in no way ever let you go. (laughs) How many of us are trying to put our confidence in how hard and how strong we hold on to God? How many feel like, and I just heard it this morning, your faith just seems a little too weak? or that your grip on God is not as strong as you hoped that it would be. And I just want to encourage you, his grip is way stronger than yours will ever be. And my confidence is in this. God, you will grip me today, and you will grip me tomorrow, and you will grip me the next day, and the next day, and the next day, that I never have to worry if my grip is uh, strong enough for you. I know it's your grip that is holding me every single day. He says, I will not relax my hold on you. That word forsake means to abandon or desert, to leave in straits. It speaks of forsaking somebody in a state of defeat or helplessness in the midst of hostile circumstances. I want to let you know, no matter what you're facing, he will never leave you nor forsake you. And that's why David could say these words, As I walk through this valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. My question I always came up to my mind is, interesting, he was in a valley and God was, because we think if God's with me, I will never be in a valley. But even in your lowest moments, God is there. And he is using that place to whisper to you a promise. And it's a promise to all of us of his closeness. His proximity to you is never distant. And it reassures me that although what I'm going through, I wish it would change at times, There's only one certainty. He is there with me. The second promise that comes to my mind is that our Father has promised. You can put the next one on the screen. Our Father promised that He would remember our sin no more. How many remember your own sin? Lawrence, you got your hand up? Nice and tall. It seems like somebody keeps on reminding us. And yet God has made you a promise under this better covenant with a better promise saying, and he says these words, for I will be merciful to your unrighteousness and your sins and your lawless deeds I will remember no more. That word remember means to recall to mind it means to be mindful of so he says i will be i will remember it no more means i will no longer be mindful of what you're not or your shortcomings god will never recall our sins back to his mind does that challenge you a little bit or make you happy i don't know god doesn't say he'll forget our sins he said he'll remember them no more his promises uh, not to remember them ever again is stronger than saying that he'll forget them. What does no more means? It's a double negative, which could be paraphrased. Absolutely no, never will I ever again remember. And part of our difficulty with accepting the completeness of God's forgiveness and his promise to remember our sins no more is because we don't fully understand the meaning of that word remember. English dictionaries, they emphasize that remember means to bring to mind or give attention to. When you remember something, you are retrieving that information from what? Stored knowledge. So to not remember is to not what? Retrieve. So it's not that he doesn't know about it. He's not retrieving it. He's not bringing anything ever back up that he's already forgiven you of. So to not remember is to not retrieve stored data from his memory. Not remembering does not mean that the data has been lost or deleted, nor does it mean that it's irretrievable. It just means that he's never going back there. He's never going to retrieve what was once held against us because we have been justified in his sight because the one that took our sins was dealt the wrath of God. Amen? That's a great promise. And here's the last one, and I I share this knowing that there are even some new people here today, but I think it's important, and I want to just spend a few minutes, maybe five or seven more minutes left. Here goes. Our Father promised the next screen, if you don't mind, if you're still back there. Oh, this is it. Sorry. That he would discipline those he loves. I don't know what you hear when you hear the word discipline. I don't know if you see an angry God. This is how most people see God, is God is like here, Jesus is right there, we're over there, and God's like, let me at him, let me at him. I just can't stand that. I can't just stand Justin anymore. You know what he did, Jesus? And Jesus is like, oh, it's going to be okay. I died for them. I died for them. God, please just calm down. Please, please, please. Like Jesus is protecting us from this angry, disappointed Frustrated God toward us, like He just is always toward us that way. And so, when you see discipline from that perspective, you're wait, you know, like man, I'm just waiting. He is ready to punish the wazoo out of me, and wazoo is a big deal, you know. So Hebrews chapter twelve, verse number five. Look at this. I want to go through this passage together. It's about five verses. It says, "And you have forgotten the exhortation which speaks to you as sons." So this exhortation was only to sons and daughters. And he says to the Hebrew people, he goes, man, you've forgotten the exhortation that was spoken to those who were sons, which says this, my son, do not what? The chastening, is it chastening or chastening? chastening? Chastening of the Lord. My son, do not despise. That word despise means to regard Lightly. To regard something or something as of little value. To look down on, to have contempt for, to make light of, to despise, to make little of, or to consider of small worth. So he's saying as sons, don't despise it, don't dismiss it, don't belittle it, don't devalue it. It's actually one of the most valuable things inside your life is the discipline of the Lord. Sarah and I learned this early on in our parenting, that one of the most sacred, and I know this sounds weird when I say it, but I mean it with all my heart, the most sacred time that we had with our daughters was when we had to discipline them. Because if you do it without anger, and you do it with love, and you consistently do it, you're going to what? Take that foolishness that is bound in their hearts, and begin to eradicate it from their life. And so when they realize this is actually an important part between me and dad of intimacy, the thing that happened between me and Summer from her early days till now is that discipline actually produced a sense of connection between her and I. Unless I did it out of anger, then it pushed her away. God is not moved by you and I. When he disciplines, he's not, oh my, where are they at? Where is Justin at? Is he at New Day today? I'm going to smack him when I see him. (laughs) Like, that's not how God is handling you. He deals with you according to his covenant and according to his nature. So I don't have to be fearful of, like, what God's going to do to me when he disciplines me. No, but I do know he's going to discipline. And now I look forward to it, not in the sense that I'm happy about it, but knowing it proves something, that I'm a son that he, he loves. He says this, do not be what? Discouraged when you are what? I don't know how that works with what you guys believe by messages maybe sure, but God does rebuke us. But he doesn't do it in the way that maybe you have a picture in your mind. He doesn't do it to condescend you. He doesn't do it to bring condemnation to you. He has this ability to rebuke us. And he wants us to be encouraged as sons. Don't get discouraged when I rebuke you. That word uh, reprove or rebuke means this. It means to bring to light with the implication that there is proof that you've crossed the line. So when God rebukes you through the preciousness and the gentleness of the Holy Spirit, he'll say something like this to me. Justin, Why are you watching that? I remember it was a couple shows over time where he says, why are you watching that? And it was like this gentle rebuke. And some of us may what? Dismiss it. And then it gets like a little heavier. Or it's challenging, more conviction. But if you ignore it, guess what happens you start partaking of something that is not good for your life. Why? Because it's causing you to drift away from something that's intimate. And then you wonder, man, why are me and God not intimate? Because maybe there's something that he rebuked you about that you've ignored. Justin, why, are you, why do you joke like that? Justin, why did you say that to that person? There's a rebuke that he's bringing to light. And then what is he doing? It's a phrase that we've said for often. God always calls us up. He's not calling us out. So when he brings something to light, he's saying, Justin, that's not who you are. That's not how we talk. That's not how we joke. That's not what we watch. That's not what we do. You are a son of God. Represent me well, my son. Look at verse number six. Are you guys understanding this okay? Verse number six. Uh, Is there a verse number six? No? Say it louder. Okay. (laughs) Okay, I don't know why there's not. Uh, So it says these words. Um, Just follow along with my words before we go there. Verse six says, For whom the Lord loves, he chastens, and he scourges every son whom he receives. A resounding amen? amen. If, if you endure chastening, if you what? Okay, you have to endure a workout not eating dessert. Okay, are you following me? Like, you don't endure eating a dessert, you enjoy it. You partake and you love it. When you go get your beat butt at a gym, you're like, oh man, I hope I make it to the end. So if you endure God's chastening, God deals with you as sons. For what son is there whom a father does not chasten? That word endure means this, to persevere, to remain under, not simply with resignation, but with a vibrant hope. So when he says endure it, that when there's, his hand is heavy upon me in a loving way, enduring it means I know, Father, you're dealing with something in my life. I know you're, 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 you're all there protecting me, warning me, trying to preserve me. I'm now going to increase my hope of what you're bringing to my life. It means to continue in activity despite resistance and opposition so as to hold one's ground to not be moved. It was a military, that word endure was a military term used of an army holding a vital position at all cost, every hardship, And every suffering is to be endured in order to hold fast. It speaks of enduring patiently, but also triumphantly. So, is his discipline hard? Yes. But he disciplines what? Behavior. But his disposition and thoughts toward us is about us. This is extremely important because if you think God disciplines you, he must be either mad, angry, frustrated, or disappointed with who? Me. No, he is not like us as humans. He looks at us. His thoughts toward us are precious. He calls us up into who we are. He knows what he sees us to be in the future. He just now has to address certain things because if our behavior does not get addressed, we start to go this way when God is calling us that way. And the enemy is setting us up to be distant from him in our relationship with him. Okay, now verse 8 and 9, we'll close off four more verses. But if you are without chastening, of which you have all become partakers, then you are illegitimate and not sons. Furthermore, we have had human fathers who corrected us, and we paid them respect. Shall we not much more readily be in subjection to the father of spirits and live? Verse 10 and 11. Is that on there? Yep. Yep. For indeed, for a few days, for they indeed for a few days chastened us, as seemed best to them, but he did it for our what? I just want you to see the loving nature of your Father. When the Holy Spirit corrects me about something, he's doing it for my profit. What is my profit? So that I can enjoy who he is to me and who I am to him. That we may be partakers of his holiness. Now, no chastening seems to be joyful at the present, but what? Painful. That's why as a pastor, sometimes, I don't know, maybe sometimes you're going through a storm because, man, the enemy is just on full attack. And then other times, there are, there are moments where I feel like the Lord just checks me in my heart and says, I got them. Let me deal with them because they want something changed, or they want prayer for something, and this is not, remember, this discipline is not punishment. Big difference. It's not punitive, and it's not uh, uh, revengeful. That is not God. He is not punishing you. He is not taking revenge on you, and he is not vindictive toward you at all. There's not that disposition at all under the covenant that he has toward you. It was all dealt with Jesus on the cross, so when he's disciplined you, he's course-correcting. He's attitude adjusting. That's what he's doing. He is not getting you back. He's not throwing sickness on you so that you learn a lesson and you learn it quick. He's not killing somebody in your family to teach you something. That is not what I'm referring to. He speaks gently to our heart and it weighs upon our spirit until we start to listen to what he has to say. And it says, but painful, nevertheless, afterward, after what? After we endure his discipline, which means I responded with what? Humility and repentance to him saying, God, thank you for, for bringing that to light in my own heart. It will yield the peaceable fruit of righteousness, which will allow me to go, thank you, Abba Father. I am your son and I know that I'm loved by you because you did not let that go inside my life. For those who have been what? Trained by it or brought up by it. Church, we are sons and daughters of God. He will never leave you nor forsake you. Your sins he will never retrieve ever again. No matter how many times the enemy accuses you, God says, justified, justified, justified. Well, Justin, what about the sins that I'm committing? God made a promise I will discipline those that are my sons. And when we receive it and welcome his discipline inside of our life, it will actually produce inside of us a peaceable fruit of righteousness that will only bring us to a place of freedom from the very thing that maybe has held us bound. He's a good father, he's always good. He always has your best in mind and he's always setting you up to succeed in what he's called you to do. We are sons and daughters of the great king, not because we did anything to deserve it, it's because we received our sonship. We received the one who could only give it, which was the real son, Jesus Christ. The first and the great orphan of this world is who? Satan. And he hates when you start to actually enjoy being a son. When you start walking as a son and you start going, Man, wherever I go, he goes. He's never going to forsake me or leave me. And man, he doesn't remember or he'll never retrieve a single sin that I committed in my life. Therefore, I'm justified. Oh, and Lord, when I'm getting disciplined, I don't have to be moved by it and go, oh man, God doesn't love me. Oh, he must be so mad at me. No, Father, I receive the discipline that only you can bring. Now what does the enemy do? He can't bring up sin to you. He can't get you to believe that God's not with you anymore. And he can't get you to believe that because of your sin, God no longer wants you inside his life. You are now walking in complete freedom from the lies and the accusations of the enemy because you're a son of God. And you live free now. Knowing if I get off track, what will God do? He'll discipline me. But it's not punishment and it's not vindictive. I don't have to be fearful of his punishment. Not once. Why? Why? Because he'll do it gently. How many have ever told me, man, I felt like God was speaking right to me when you were speaking. Well, he probably said something to you, either called you up or he brought something to light. If he brought that thing to light, you talk with him about it. Because he wants to deal with it. And what does he deal with it? Because it's not allowed to go into your future. Amen. Would you please stand with me this morning? We're going to do a song, Jory. Jory, how old are you? 14. 14. Annie, how old are you? 12. 12. (laughs) Jackson, how old are you? 14. Young people up there. Hope, 18. Isn't it cool to watch them do that? Well, thank you for listening to the word of God. I appreciate you receiving the spirit behind it. And I know I repeat myself a lot, and I don't ever want you guys to feel like, man, he just says the same thing over and over, because I I really try not to do that, but I just want to encourage you to go be what you're called to be. You don't have to become it. You are a son or daughter. You just have to learn how to walk like one, learn how to think like one, learn how to receive like one. When you walk into a house and it's your parents' house, you have freedoms in that place talking with Michelle Weeks about it, when a foster kid comes to a home for the very first time, he doesn't think like a son. He thinks like what? I'm the outsider of this family until eventually they convince him, you're just as much of a son to us as the ones that we bore long ago. And when he finally is convinced that I'm part of this family too, he starts to now receive and act like a son in the house just like the ones who were originally born to the parents. It's the same thing with all of us. Some of us are going to catch it quicker. Some of us are going to go, you know what? I'm a son. I'm receiving it all today. I want all of his favor today. I told the men this past week, the struggle I have is to re- I receive and measure, not fullness. I take a little bit of what God has, but I don't go after everything. Why? Because I'm still battling to know what that means to take fullness, receive fullness from God. But thank you guys for being who you are. May this week be one that's filled with you actually touching people's lives because God resides on the inside of you. The Spirit of God is on the inside of you. When you hear God say, pray for somebody, pray for them. When you hear somebody, God say, encourage somebody, encourage them. When you see somebody who is broken or or you have this thought, man, do just go and be sons and daughters, light and salt to this earth. And thank you for your giving to New Day. I honestly want to thank you from the bottom of my heart for everybody that is faithful to give. It means the world that we can continue to do this, to continue to get this message into the side of people's hearts, to spread this word more and more often. So Father, I just take a moment and I bless every one of your beloved sons and daughters. I pray that they're beginning to catch what this actually means, that we're not trying to get anywhere with you. You are our destination. This is what Jesus brought us to. He wanted us to bring us back to the Father, back to a relationship that we can have with the Father. And so I pray for every one of your sons and daughters in this room, that they'll begin to understand the vastness, the depth, and the the greatness of your love, that we, we can represent you as sons and daughters wherever we go this week. Thank you that they're faithful to sow and to give, Father God, without fear and reservation. Do not scared that you won't take care of them. Father, I thank you for Jory and for Annie and for Jackson, for Hope, for Chloe, for Zoe, for this team up there, for David, Father God. I thank you for the anointing that's on their lives. I thank you that they realize this is. This is not a show. This is not just church. We don't just come and do church. They're part of God's family. They're sons and daughters themselves. And I pray at a young age, they will learn how to serve you without trying to get something from you or trying to prove something to you. But they'll serve you because they're a daughter who is deeply loved. They're a son who is deeply loved by you. May they catch it at a young age. And may we learn how to love each other, Father God. May we learn how to to meet each other right where we are with no hoops, no strings. Build us as a community of people who are known because of their love. And Holy Spirit, we invite you into our week this week. Invade our Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, that it may be filled with the fruit.